Welcome to New Sound Church's weekly podcast. We are a church located in Palm Beach County, Florida, and we are so glad that you're listening to this week's message from our pastor, Pastor Josh Mott. For more information about New Sound Church, you can visit our website at www.newsound.church and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Good morning. Hey, welcome to New Sound. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Josh and However, the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor, and I'm glad you guys are here. Today, uh, we're wrapping up a series that we've called Anonymous, and we'll get into that in just a minute, but I want to tell you about a couple of things um, that I think are important for you to know. The, the first is that small groups start today. Um, we're excited for that, and if you haven't ever had a chance to get, there's one guy excited for that. One guy in the whole church is excited for that. Um, that's awesome. So we'll pray for all you guys um, after church. And uh, small group starting. So if you haven't downloaded the New Sound Church app, we want to encourage you to download the app. And uh, there's a great way for you to know a little bit about what's going on in the church and listen to old messages and, and uh, take notes. And, but then kind of a real cool part is where you can look for small groups. And hopefully there's a group in the summer that might pique your interest, might be something that you want to check out. And so I'd encourage you to check it out. We'd love for you to to try one, and, and I think you can learn a lot in a line, but I think you're going to get changed in a circle. I think you just need some relationships, and we say it around here a lot in this way. I mean, show me your inner circle, and I'll show you a picture of your future, and we're just trying to help you find some folks to do life with and so that you don't have to do it all by yourself. And the other piece that we're also equally as excited about is, um, you know, you may not know this, we're a pretty new church. We're only about 18 months old as a church and we are, uh, this fall we'll be doing our first international mission trip as a church. So we're excited for that. Um, we'll actually be going, yeah, we'll actually be going to Haiti. And if you're going, man, I think that I would actually be, uh, I'd like to know some more information or get plugged in or, or at least just, just know a little bit more. When you came in, you got a connection card and, and you can just write Haiti or just write missions. Um, it'll be uh, at the end of October, but it's not going to be a huge trip. We want to do it the right way the first time out. And so we're going to just limit it to 20 people on this trip. And so don't wait. We do think it's going to fill up. And if you write that on your connection card, either missions or Haiti, or just a way to let us know that you're interested, we'll send you an email with information about the trip. Uh, dates, costs, just all of those kinds of things. And then so you can kind of make a decision based on that, whether you want to know more. And then we're going to be having an interest meeting here in just a couple of weeks so that you can ask all your questions and get to know just a little bit more uh, about all of it. And uh, I'm excited for it because this is something that I, I... if you're kind of trying to figure out kind of our missions strategy or my philosophy on it, I think a lot of times... We end up doing missions in a way that makes us feel good, like alleviates a little bit of our guilt for being Americans, but really doesn't make a difference in the world. We, we, we go somewhere for a few days, and I look at the way most mission trips are structured, and you go somewhere for a few days, you do a little bit of uh, work, throw some felt board Noah's Ark characters onto uh, the board and then go whitewater rafting for two days and then come home. And I'm like, I just don't know that we really made a, a big impact. And so just so you know, when, when, when new sound does a mission trip, like we go into work, 
we're going to work. So they're like, hey, so like, tell me about like the fun day. Um, you like airports? You like airports? That's going to be exciting because you're going to get on a plane. It's going to go up in the air. It's going to come down to third world country. It's going to be exciting. Uh, so that'll be the fun day. And then we're going to work because we're going to, and then the other thing that I really believe is long-term sustained partnerships. So we're trying to form relationships that when my son who's a nine-year-old is grown, that these are relationships that he'll know. Um, we, we don't want, we don't think that there's any benefit in just jumping in and jumping out, patting ourselves on the back saying, Ooh, I'm glad we helped those poor people. Um, what we want to do is create long-term sustained partnerships so that we can establish for them a way where it's not, it's the whole teach a man to fish deal where we can help establish some economy and some resource so that if we disappeared from the planet, they are better because we showed up at some point. So I want you to consider it, pray about it. I think it'll be life-changing. If you've never done an international mission trip, don't worry. This'll be one of many that we do, um, but I'm excited about it and it'll be in October, but we're, we're gonna be doing registrations and, and applications and all of that right now. And there will be an application process. And it's only because if you've never been to a country like this, it is very taxing. Um, and we wanna just make sure that emotionally, spiritually, that we're going down to do mission work that you're maybe not the mission work. So um, we'll just make sure you're healthy enough to, that when we get down there, you ain't losing your mind going, what do you mean? We have to take cold showers. You know, like, no one told me. So we'll just make sure that you can handle all that and then we'll be fine. Cool? All right, so I got a lot I wanna talk to you about. So uh, I'd love it if you let me pray for you real quick. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you, God, for uh, your word and we... Uh, we need to hear from you right now. Nobody needs to hear from a pastor. So we're asking now to hide this preacher, show yourself, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are ready for change. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. 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 So again, welcome to New Sound. If we haven't met yet, my name is Josh Monty and I'm the lead pastor here and I'm glad that you're here. And um, if my voice sounds a little scratchy today, it's because on Wednesday I got some combination of like, Bird flu, swine flu, Ebola, black plague, something, or as you ladies would call it, like a cold for a guy. And it almost put me down. It almost put me down. I was like, Kim, just let me go. She's like, it's a cold. Get up. Like, and I'm like, so I'm a little scratchy. Hopefully I'm not coughing all through the message, but I'm here today. I'm a survivor. Guys, you can overcome. And uh, I'm living proof. We've been in this series that we've called Anonymous and we just have been talking about the idea that, that God really would seem to value the hidden places, the anonymous seasons, the places where people don't see what we're doing and, and understand what we're going through, that the world is kind of constantly pushing us towards exposure, towards everybody seeing. And that's why, I mean, the number one aspiration of the generation that's growing up right now is to be famous. And that's a dangerous thought. But when we look to the life of Jesus, we realize that most of his life was hidden. Most of his life, we just don't know that much about what the hidden places look like. We know it was born in Bethlehem. He spent a little time in Egypt. He was raised in Nazareth. Nazareth as a grown man, he was in Capernaum. Like, so he's moved around, but at the end of the day, he's, he's a Nazarene, which means he's 
kind of from the, the redneck portion of town. He's in this anonymous, unknown place in town. He comes from a small, anonymous, unseen family, unimportant by every measure. But when we pick up the gospels, when it's our chapter one, it was actually Jesus's chapter 30. He's now a grown man and able to withstand some temptation and some things that he's facing in his life. And we would have to look at that and go, what was happening in the hidden place that nobody saw that allowed him uh, to deal with temptation and, and, and struggle and trials and, and all of those things? So I'm going to go in the text. I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory for where we were, and then we'll jump into um, the text for this week. It says, Jesus was then led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And then after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry and the tempter came. And he said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we said in week one that kind of the first place the devil will kind of come at each one of us is our appetite. That, that it's not something necessarily bad by itself, but that we get a little taste of it and then we want more and more and more. It's the idea of, it's not it's not sinful to want to have a couple of nice things. It's just, it becomes, a, it becomes a trap when your life then becomes about the acquisition of things. It's okay to have a piece of cake. It's just probably not okay to have the cake, like the, the whole cake. And, and so your appetite is kind of one of those places where he's going to start with you. It's not, he's going to take a natural urge and then turn it into some, uh, something unhealthy because never forget this an unguarded strength becomes a double weakness. So like your, your drive and your ambition is great, but you can become a steamroller. The fact that you're great at listening to everybody and all of that and really thinking through everything before you make a decision, unguarded becomes paralysis by analysis. Little things are okay in the beginning, but the appetite portion that Jesus understood was he took a natural desire, he took a natural thing, and Jesus was able to resist it by understanding the power of the word of God. And then he says, uh, the devil took him to the holy city to stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you. And they're gonna lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I'd go back and say that the devil is actually actively quoting scripture here. So memorizing verses doesn't make you any more of a Christian than sitting in my garage makes you my car. You have to actually do something with the information that you have. But in this moment, he's tempting with him with applause. Like, I'm gonna take you to the most sacred place in the center of your known world. And I'm, you're gonna do something where millions of people will now be in awe of the power you have even over the angels and applause or the desire for people to notice you isn't bad by itself, but it can become this thing that, is, uh, that becomes a, really a curse even in our own life because we're just constantly looking for the validation and the approval of other people. And we said last week, the only path to that is you've just got to choose who you fear. Uh, fear of man, the Bible says, is a snare. It's a trap, it's a trick, but to fear the Lord we, we, we feel like there's freedom in that. And we said, fear, that word was this Hebrew word, yirah, which literally meant to revere. Just revere God, revere what he says about you over what the world says. And then we keep going in the story. 
And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the, of the world and all their splendor. And he said, I'm gonna give you all this. If you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left and the angels came and they attended him. What was interesting in this moment was he was then tempting him with the promise of authority. But maybe even I would put it in this way. He was tempting him with the removal of pain. You see, the reality is that if Jesus goes through with the plan that is currently intact, then he is going to have to be ridiculed. He's going to have to be ignored. He's going to have to be rejected. He's going to have to be shamed. He's going to have to be beaten. He's going to have to be hung up on a cross and he's going to have to brutally pay for the sins of the world. And the devil said, hey, listen, I'll trade you all of that. I'll trade you all of that. And you can now live a life where you are the big man on campus. Everybody worships you. You'll have all the money, all the importance and all the everything that anybody on this world could ever want. But Jesus understood something. We do not get the option of removing pain. In this life, pain is coming. We are going to have to experience pain. He said it in this life. You will have troubles. You're going to go through stuff. Jesus understood what the devil was offering him was not pain removal. It was just pain deferment. He said, I'll just give you an opportunity to be super famous, but at the end of the day, this life has a shelf life. This world has a shelf life. And God's going to have to do something about all of the sin that's in it. And Jesus understood, I can either be obedient now and take the pain now, or I can take the pain later, but I will not get the option of pain removal. In fact, at the end of Jesus' life, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he actually prays to the Father and says, God, if there's another way to do this, like if we could do that, that'd be awesome. Like time out, like we can just do like a three days worth of time out. Like I won't talk to anybody, no preaching, whatever. Like just time out, like anything. He, he would have done anything. He said, but he says this, nevertheless, thy will be done. God, you do it because I understand I, there's no removal of pain. And the devil will tempt you over and over and over, I believe, with the trick of pain deferment. You're like, well, how's that work? Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you, so you can choose right now um, to save. You can choose to save. You can choose to save. And when everybody else, all your friends are going out to eat, you can choose to stay home, eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like you can choose to save now, um, or you can choose the pain for later. But you don't get to defer it. I mean, you don't get to remove it. You just get to defer it. So um, we can either say, look, I'm going to do everything I want right now, spend all the money I want right now and do whatever I want right now. And then what studies are showing right now is we have people working later in life now than at any other point in the modern era. They're just, they're, we're not removing pain. We're just deferring it. So you can, you can get up when the alarm clock goes off, you can get up and you can go work out. And, um, and you need a salad. Uh, or you can wait. And the doctor's gonna look at you and he's going to say, your heart is ready to pop. I don't know how long you have, maybe a week, maybe a couple months. I'll give you a pill that you can take that might slow down the damage, but it's really only a mask for the fact that we deferred pain. Listen, it's painful. 
Ain't nobody ever want to just eat a salad. Ain't nobody ever woke up in the morning. It's like, oh my God, I just got killed for a salad. Rabbits don't even think I'd kill for a salad. If they had opposable thumbs and a little bit more fight, they need a steak like the rest of us. Like they, they, like nobody wants a salad, but you have to choose the the deferment of pain. So let me put it to you like this. You can choose now, you can choose pain now or pain later. You can choose the pain of discipline or you can choose the pain of regret, but you don't get to remove pain. And so the devil's tempting him right now and saying, hey, listen, you can choose the pain of discipline, do everything God's way, or I'm tempting you with a bunch of shiny things right now and eventually you're gonna wake up one day and you'll be riddled with the pain of regret. So you can um, get your kids up and bring them to church and you can go in at night when it would be easier just to tell them, hey, just go to your room, just go, just stop, just go to your room, go play Xbox, go play PlayStation, I don't care, go play in the street, I don't care, I'm done. I'm done. I was a dad up until nine. I can't be a dad past nine o'clock. I'm just done. And so just go. You can choose the pain of deferment or you can choose the pain of discipline. So I am going to walk in there. And even when I'm exhausted and I don't even know if anybody's prayed for me all day, I still got to go in there and I got to get down on my knees and I got to pray with my kids because I got to teach them that being with the father is the most important thing for them. And so I can choose the pain of discipline, or I can choose the pain of one day I wake up and my son at 20 says, dad, I don't even know if I believe in this and I don't want to go to church with you ever again. Like you can choose the pain of discipline or you can choose the pain of regret, but I'm telling you, church, pain's coming. And Jesus understood I'm going, like I can't remove pain and I refuse to defer it. I will choose the pain of doing things God's way in this season. And I'm not going to try to take control and I won't try to take the authority into my own hands. You with me? Let me tell you something, church. I'm preaching at about, let's see, about a seven. I got a little bit more room, but as a crowd, y'all are about a two right now. <laughs> about, a, about a two, one and a half. Oh, now you laugh. Are you not entertained? So we look at Jesus and we're going, this doesn't make sense. So I think what we miss is that the desert in Jesus' life wasn't the punishment. The desert wasn't the punishment. In fact, when you go and look at that word wilderness or desert, it actually shows up several more times in scripture, but rarely is it ever used to describe desert or wilderness. The Greek word right there for desert or wilderness was this word, oremos, oremos. And what it meant was solitary. What it meant was a place separated. In fact, in Matthew 14, we would see when Jesus finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded, the Bible says this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to Aramos. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot. Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went to Aramos, where he prayed. In Luke 4, 
42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to Aramos. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. Matthew 5, or Luke 5. Yet the news about him spread all the more so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to Aramos. So when Jesus had a hard day, he thought, I got to go to the desert. When I, he's getting ready to do a miracle, he thinks, I got to go to the desert. When something big happens in his life, I got to get to the desert. When something, uh, when, when a miracle is coming, I got to get to the desert. When a big decision was needing to be made, he said, I got to come to the desert because we miss something when we look at the temptation of Jesus. In Matthew 4, and let me show it to you again in, in the second verse, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then it says this, the tempter came. He didn't come for the 40 days, he came at the end. It wasn't Jesus walking around bleary-eyed for 40 days in the wilderness, getting beat up by the devil. It was Jesus for 40 days, not answering any texts or any emails, not checking any Instagram. He wasn't having a check to find out if he was good enough or strong enough or if people liked him. All he had to do was go out into the hidden place and be with his father. And the reason that he was able to stand in the moment of adversity was because he had just spent 40 days one-on-one -on -one with the creator of the universe. Because you need to understand something. To stand strong in the public place, you're going to have to learn how to be still in the private place. We get the opposite. In fact, we run to something all the time. Some of us, the second we wake up in the morning, we check our phone to find out if anybody cares that we exist. We look through the text messages to find out what problems we have to solve today. What emails came in after we had already gone to bed to find out if anybody considers our opinion important. We check Instagram and as if it wasn't enough to check on the people that actually have my phone number, let me check with the people that I refuse to give my phone number and let's see if they can speak into my soul before I even get out of bed. So I check how many likes or comments. And well, the, the example of Jesus was to get ready to do the thing that God had called him to. He always tried to get off to a solitary place to be with the Father and it would be the strength necessary to do the things that he needed to do. What we end up doing is we run to social media or we run to a bad relationship or we're looking to a boss or we're looking to a parent. We're asking somebody else to be the thing to fill the cup that only God was made to fill. And so when we wonder why we're always tired and we under, wonder why we're always so insecure and we wonder why our anxiety and depression levels seem to grow generation on generation. It's because when God created us to run straight to him, we run to the world instead. And he said, if the desert was a punishment, why did my son keep trying to go back to it? The desert wasn't a punishment. It was an opportunity to be with me. And what we end up doing is we view the solitary, the hidden, the anonymous place as the place of forgottenness. It was the place where Jesus would go so that he knew he was always remembered. But when you need somebody else to fill that for you, disappointment is going to be your constant companion. I've been there. 
I've done it both ways. I've done it where I was great at running off to the Father. Then when a big thing would come, when a hard thing would come. I remember when I was in Lexington and we had been pastoring the church for just a little while. It was just this little baby church. It was just so brand new. We'd started it. We didn't have anything. We didn't know what we were doing. I was the janitor. I was the head uh, secretary. I was, uh, I was the head of HR and uh, I was the preacher. I was the counselor. I was chief construction worker. I was it. I was the whole thing. I'd come in and 5 a.m. on a Monday morning and work my tail off. And we finally got to the place where, you know, we, we, we had a hire and we hired this guy and he comes on. I'm thinking, man, this is it. I finally get to like take a nap or something and get some breakthrough. And then this guy, he went through some stuff. And, and to be honest with you, like, I mean, I just, it was stuff that, I mean, I wouldn't even tell you now, this many years later, a decade later almost, like the stuff that he was going through, I wouldn't tell you because in leadership, you need to understand something. Sometimes if you're gonna honor people, uh, you have to make decisions that you don't even have the right to explain. I just had to trust that God was gonna protect me. And I made the decision because there was some stuff going on in his personal life that I felt like was outside of God's best. So I had to ask him to come off staff, and I, but I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't explain to anybody the decision that I'd made because to explain the decision would be to destroy his character. And I couldn't do it. And I just had to take the hit. The church was small. We were maybe 300 people at the time. And, 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 um, and overnight, uh, 150 people were gone. Just overnight, in a day. And it destroyed me. And I, I went to my wife and I said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I don't even know if I want to do it. Like if, if that's it, if this is how it's going to go, you just constantly just playing these kind of games. Like I just don't want to do it anymore. I'll just travel and preach and, or work at Walmart, whatever. I don't care. I just want to do this. And I'll never forget, she actually, with a lot of wisdom, she said, you're like, you're processing everything through the lens of pain right now. You got to go away. You got to get out of here. You got to go away. And uh, I went and rented this cabin in the middle of nowhere. No cell phone, no radio, no TV, no nothing. It was just me in this cabin, just sitting there. And the first day was miserable. It felt like a punishment because I did not know how to be alone with the father. I did not even know what it meant. And I felt like being alone. I just knew in the back of my mind that everything at home was unraveling. And that if 150 people had immediately gone, then by the time I got back, it'd be 250. And then by the time I ever emailed or called or took action and did all the things that I would, that my flesh was asking me to go do, like, that man, if I didn't do it, it's just gonna be me and Kim and the kids at church next Sunday. And, and I, just, I was just stressed and anxious, and, but I just refused to, to leave Ramos. I refused to leave the solitary place. And I just kept begging God, show up, do something in my heart because I'm broken and I don't know if I wanna do it anymore. And I wish I could tell you that there was this like burning bush moment or a dove descended out of a rainbow that just popped up out of a pot of gold that then started to tell me all the things that God loved about me, but that's not how it happened. What he began to do in me was begin to erode this feeling that I had any control over how this was gonna turn out. He actually began to elevate in my mind how small I was and how big he was. He actually began to speak to me that I wasn't forgotten and that I was cared for and I was loved for. And I wish I could tell you every moment of everything and 
But what I can tell you in that moment, as I sat there in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of this cabin, that God did a healing in me that was supernatural. And I came back and I honestly had this feeling that God, if there's eight people when I come back or there's 8,000, I'm going to be the best pastor of those eight people that has ever existed in the history of eight person churches. And I just got there. So look at God. We had 300 people overnight. We went to 150. One month to the day, we had 500 people in church. And I went home and I'll never forget. And God just said, are you going to trust me on this journey, son, or not? I've got you. And sometimes before I can grow you, I have to prune you. But pruning always requires a cutting. And I would have never gotten the lesson and I probably would have quit prematurely if I didn't understand the power of Aramos, the, the desert place, the hidden place, the place that he wants you to be in where you trust him. So how do we get there practically? I need to understand what Sabbath is. I need to understand that Sabbath is the act of trust. See, the reality is in our world, um, you work, okay? You work for five days. It's pretty common uh, in our country. You work for five days and then you get off for two. That's a pretty phenomenal concept, really. I mean, when you really think about it, because there are still places in the world, and I've been in those towns where if you don't work that day, you do not eat that day. If you don't work, you don't eat. And so the idea a couple of thousand years ago, um, and even longer than that when the idea of Sabbath was introduced, the idea of working for a little while, for six days, and then eating for all seven was mind-blowing. Because what that said was, God, I trust in the provider more than the provision. And what we end up doing is working and working and working and working, constantly believing that if I stay on my phone, if I keep texting, if I keep hustling, that breakthrough is going to come. And what your heavenly father wants you to know is he can do more with you in six days than you can do alone in seven. Uh, if you don't believe me, look at Chick-fil-A. And the reality is you're going to walk out of here today. You're going to drive down State Road 7 and God's going to begin to speak to you about the deliciousness of a Chick-fil-A sauce with them little nuggets. And you're going to pull in and your family's going to be so excited until one kid in the back goes, hey, they close on Sunday. And, and, and then everybody cries and the Bible says weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now the funny thing about that restaurant is by far, they are the most successful fast food franchise in the world. And yet they work 52 days a year less than every one of their competitors. Because God can do more with six connected to him and trusting him for all of it than you can do hustling in your own efforts for seven. Sabbath isn't about napping. Sabbath is about trusting, which is why I wanna tell you this, there's a difference in rest for my body and rest for my soul. I think a lot of times when we start talking about Sabbath, we think that it means sleeping till 11 and then taking a second nap. That's not Sabbath. Sabbath, the best way to know whether you're getting good Sabbath isn't that whether or not you're being lazy. Sabbath was never created so that we could be lazy. 
Uh, here's what I would tell you. Rest from the thing that God has given you to provide for you. So my Sabbath, I don't preach on my Sabbath. I don't counsel on my Sabbath. I don't, I don't, uh, I can't, you know, so Sunday's not my day. Friday's my day. Friday's my day where I just, it's just me and him. But maybe if you're a lawyer, just don't argue today. All day. Just let it go, counselor. If you're a doctor, don't heal. If you're an accountant, don't add anything all day. Just rest from that thing. See, the temptation will be to pick that phone up and go back to work. The temptation will be to hustle, but I love what it says in the Psalms. He actually speaks to some of this. He says, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. Look at this, because it's not that he doesn't value hard work, but this is where it is. Anxiously working for food to eat. You're anxiously working. Because you're anxiously working, I think it's stressing you out. I, I came here for somebody today. Your father, your heavenly father wants to spend time with you every day. Stop anxiously working. Just rest in what he has for you. Rest starts with Jesus. Rest starts with Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We incorrectly teach that as the yoke that would be attached to an animal. Like a beast of burden, like my yoke is easy. Sometimes we preach that, don't be unequally yoked. And, as, and we use it as if the term was meant to signify the harness used on an animal's back to pull them. But that is not the context of this word. The yoke was the set of rules in addition to God's commands that a rabbi would add in addition to all the things that you were supposed to be following. So that when you would follow that rabbi, uh, there was sometimes there were uh, different uh, uh, circumstances or commands that he would uh, add in addition to the commandments that God had already sent down. Jesus comes onto the scene when now hundreds of rules have been added and the yoke was the extra set of rules that they would actually fasten to their bodies. This actual, this list of extra rules, they would actually fasten it to themselves and that the super holy ones could display for all to see all of the extra things that they were doing to make them right in the eyes of God. And Jesus said, I'm not gonna make you do that. He said, my yoke's easy. My burden's light. I'm not adding a bunch of extra rules. Love God, love people. They said, Jesus, tell us all the rules. Give us the greatest one. He said, I can't give it to you in one, so I'll give it to you in two. He said, you better love God with everything you've got, but you better be good to other people. He said, that's easy. 
My yoke's easy. I don't have 900 things for you to remember. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. You love God with everything you've got and you love the people around you. Now, the hard part for doing that is people are hard. And Jesus understood that. So he was constantly trying to get back to the desert. He was constantly trying to get back to the Father. He would, there'd be a healing and he would go, I got to get back to be with my dad. There'd be feeding of 5,000. He goes, oh, I got to get back to dad. He found out John the Baptist gets killed. He goes, oh, I got to get back to be with my dad. Like he just understood that being with the father was the thing that he would need to get through the trials that he would face. Sabbath isn't a restriction placed on me. It's a gift given to me. It's a gift. Sabbath is a gift. In fact, in Mark, he would say it like this. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. This isn't an opportunity for you to get all legalistic and weird and your wife calls you downstairs today and says there's a light bulb out in the bathroom. You just look at her and say, sorry, woman. (laughs) Sabbath. I'll be on that couch. He said, look, it's not made to be crazy like that. They started adding all these rules in, uh, in the Jewish faith. They started adding all these rules and be like, hey, man, if your donkey falls in the well, you can't even get the donkey out. What a dumb rule that is. Now you got a dead donkey, okay? And you got stinky donkey water, Okay. And then nobody try to drink no stinky donkey water on a Monday just because you wouldn't pull them out of the water, right? Think about it. There's a whole sermon there. I want to invite you back next week to our new series, Stinky Donkey Water. Dumb things people say that aren't in the Bible. That'd be good. How how would you do that graphically? I'm going to send that over to the graphics department immediately and get them to work. They're like, pastor, there's not a visual representation for stinky donkey water. Sounds to me like I need a new creative department. Shall we move on? When I rest, my discipline in the private place becomes my strength for the public place. And I want that for you. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you now, guys, it's it's not pain removal. There's no such thing. So it's only pain deferment. And what you can learn in those seasons of just daily learning how to Sabbath and weekly learning how to rest in what God's done is it will build a rhythm of rest and work in your life so that when the real big thing comes, when the real trial shows up, you know exactly how to answer it. You know exactly where to go. I imagine that when Jesus faced some of the difficult things in his life, had he not created that cycle of rest and public and rest and public, the things that he had gone through could have broken him. 
And I feel like when the real trial comes for us, we don't know how to respond because when everything was going okay, so let me give you this encouragement. Why don't we be the church that makes the decision to change before we have to? Why don't we make the decision to say, hey, listen, I'm not gonna wait till my wife comes and tells me that everything's falling apart. We're actually gonna change before we have to. I'm actually not gonna wait until the doctor says I've only got a little bit longer left on this heart before I'm gonna need a new one. Why don't we change before we have to? I'm not gonna wait till my financial guy says, hey, congratulations, you get to work till you're 99. I'm gonna change before I have to, like I'm, gonna, like I'm gonna make the decision now that I can't remove the pain, but I can defer it. I'll choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. It's hard, it's messy. It doesn't always end in sunshine and puppy dogs. But what I can tell you is that when you begin the rhythm of resting in the Father and then working out of that place of rest, you'll be able to stand to the trials that you have coming in your way. And the reality is trials are coming. So how do we get there practically? I'll close with this. You got to have a set place. I don't know where your set place is. I mean, some of you, it's just in, at, your, at your breakfast table with your Bible before the kids get up. And if that's it, man, praise God. You know, for me, I, just this week, I, I was blown away. I'm not, I'm not really a, I, a runner. God kind of made me like a cinder block, you know. And, you know, when you're built like Frodo, you just... You just got to do, I just, I'm better at picking up heavy things and putting them back down than I am running long distances. But, um, but I got, I was just going to go for a run and I, and I went out and, and I got about a mile into it and I wasn't even expecting to go too long. I was just really trying to warm up to go lift. And the sun was just starting to come up. It was early. And I don't know how to explain it to you other than it was just, it was just the presence of God. I was just, it was just there, just me and him. And, and I'm running and, 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 and I mean to tell you that every single word of this sermon, it was just like he was just downloading it into my brain. I, I, I knew every word. I knew every scripture verse. I knew everything. I was just there and it was just, just downloading. And, and then and one mile turns to two and then two mile turns to three. And I ended up, I, was, I went six miles and I wasn't even planning on going anywhere. But I just didn't want it to stop. I just didn't want to leave that place where it was just me and him and no music, no texts, no phone calls, nothing pulling, just me and him. So the next morning I woke up and I hadn't run that long in a while. And so I was sore, my legs hurt, my knee hurt. And, but I got up earlier than I did the day before and I ran longer. I just didn't want to give up that moment with just me and him. I don't know where your certain place is, what your thing is. For some of you, it's on a bike. For some of you, it's just driving through town. It's sitting out by your pool. It's walking down the beach. It's sitting on the surfboard out in the middle of nowhere. But you better find your place and fight to keep it. You need a set time. Time's like money. If you don't tell it where to go, it will tell you. And then you need a goal. Prayer and time with God isn't about, letting, about you letting him know about your day. It's about you getting in line with his plans for your day. 
I think where a lot of quiet time gets goofy is we're like, okay, God, I got this and this and this and this and this. And I was just going to kind of let you know what's coming up. And I was going to let you know what happened. He goes, oh yeah, I already knew that. Remember that moment where I um, created everything? And um, so I kind of knew that this, that's how it's all going to go. The point of prayer isn't you getting heaven to get in line with you. The point of prayer is so that you can finally get in line with heaven. And he said, God, our father, hallowed be thy name. Like, I love you. You're worthy of worship. And I'm going to stop before I do anything. Just say thank you for all the things that you're doing in my life. And I just want to spend time with you. And I'm telling you that most of us would never have to get to the place in the prayer where we ask this day for our daily bread. If we would just get to the place where we said thank you for the things that you've already given us. And he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I am not trying to get my life in. Uh, I'm not trying to get you to uh, align heaven with my life. I'm trying to get my life in line with heaven. And so today, God, can I just be heaven on earth as I experience people. What I love, serve, submit, accept and forgive people in the way that Jesus did so that the way that I treat people and the way that I uh, speak your word and the way that I show compassion and the way that I am in peace in, uh, in violent places and God, the way that I respond when hurt is coming and the way that I seem to always pull back to you, would it just be a window into heaven so that people would wanna know you because of the way that I respond? God, I recognize that my appetite for the things of this world will grow today and that there are gonna be a lot of tempting things and that your, your will isn't for me to have nothing, but it's so that those things would never have me. And so as I step into that today, God, that I would be pursuing you and your will for my life and for my stuff. But God, as I move out into the world, that instead of seeking uh, applause and, and seeking the world's affirmation of who I am uh, and always needing a like or a comment or an attaboy or a pat on the back, God, that today, because of this time that I've spent with you, that I would always, even in the moments of insecurity, step back to the Eremos back to the desert, back to the wilderness, back to the place where I knew it was just me and you and we could do anything. And God, in the moment where I try to defer my pain and I try to, where I try to send it off into tomorrow, God, I know that I can't remove it. So I'm gonna choose today the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. The hidden season is not a punishment. Deserts aren't punishments, they're opportunities. And so God, today I am choosing to take the opportunity of hidden. I'm choosing to run back to the desert as my savior did. I'm choosing to head back to that place because I know it is in that place that you'll be waiting. And then the devil on his worst day. The devil on his best day would never have anything over me on my worst. If I've spent time with the father. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message from Pastor Josh Mani. If your life has been impacted by today's message, we would love for you to share your story with us by emailing story at newsound.church. Join us again next week for another inspirational message from New Sound Church.